Hey guys, TJ Schwartz here. Welcome back to the Edge and Flow podcast. I am here with my co-host, Lucas Burnley. What's up, man? Hey, what's up? Good to good to see your face, man. Yeah, missed another, what was it, week of recording? Yeah, another this is... another holiday meets show schedule meets production schedule. Family schedule meet. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Right now, I don't know if there's any missing anything. I think this is just kind of like, yeah. this is the schedule. Yeah, which this leads into our topic today. Oh, yeah. this is which is uh, going back on your word Broken and promises. the implications of that and difficulties and importance sometimes to do it. Like we had mentioned in this podcast before actually trying to do once a week. I think we tried to set that goal maybe a few episodes back. Obviously, we've struggled, especially this time of year. So we've got a list of things we've been kind of changing with regard to the things we've been saying publicly and then the things we actually decide to do. So yeah. Adaptive strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This ties into, cause I, I felt like we were kind of up for a, a shop like update. Mm-hmm. And basically the shop update is that you and I have just been lying to ourselves yep. for a while. So, yep. uh, you want to go first? Do you want to, yeah, cause all right. So here's, here's where TJ is at right now. Um, TJ just, began pre-orders for a new model. What is the new model name? Confidant. The Confidant. Oh, that ties into this as well, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, Where did you break your promise? So I've been working on this. I've mentioned it on the podcast, this new knife. I've been conceptualizing it, 3D printing it, holding it. And I didn't want to reveal a single thing about it besides that it existed in the ether. Uh, And I was thinking that I would have blades, ground, heat treated, like basically getting close to assembly and shipping by the time I even said or displayed it publicly in any way. Um, And I think I'd mentioned that even like two episodes ago on the pod. And uh, well, I launched a pre-order this weekend, so (laughs) that's not what happened. Um, And there's uh, reasons for that. And so that's what we can dive into. All right, let's hear reasons. So first, what was your reason for saying that you would not do a pre-order? Saying that I would not is the number one reason with the pre-order is if it if the knife doesn't physically fully exist yet, like it's prototyped prototyped in theory, it's using the processes of the Overland. I, I I believe there's a low risk. If it was a folder, that'd be different. But with a fixed blade, I believe I'm approaching it in a way that there's not a risk that I won't be able to fulfill. But I don't want to take full payment for something that I don't have an actual like photography of. That just seems sketchy. Right. You do not and, have a proven physical product. Yeah. And it just taking full payment on that doesn't seem right. And so what happened was I had, you maybe even bounced the idea off me of taking deposits and it crossed my mind. But to, to me, the problem with that was going to be the logistics, because if I have a large volume of orders come time to ship and I have to seek out final payment, I was worried about the logistics of that because it's like you email all these people, half of them don't respond or it goes to their spam email. You're tracking people down. Like I had this this fear of it growing into a problem. Right. Um, but what I found was I have the Wix and this was the pivotal moment. I have the, the, I think the deposit model was the right move. Uh, if the logistics were going to work because with the deposit model, I get to know what people are wanting. So volume, right. How many are Cerakoted? What color handles, how many, what kind of sheath am I making? Because I can't really know until I have orders. Right. Right. And so, but what, pivoted it, like I said, was that I went on my Wix website platform. Wix is what I use, just a kind of a generic software for making a website. 
and they have invoicing on there. And so when someone orders a product for me, like let's say they paid for this confidant, they you know put down their small deposit. And then what it is, is they're also paying shipping and additional options up front. Right. So their deposit plus like $20, $30, depending on what else they're getting on there. And then how much did you do as a deposit percentage? Or So it's $45 for the deposit. Yep. And then they pay their shipping and they pay if they wanted Cerakote or whatever, it was a little bit more. So it could be like fifty to eighty dollars, depending like on that. what. Yeah, so you're pay, you're paying your options, you're paying the logistics, yeah. and the and reason then, for that is when I go to actually take final payment inside of Wix, all I have to do is go to each order and I can click on the guy's name or gal's name that ordered the knife and send an invoice directly to them inside of Wix, and then it confirms that it was paid to me inside of Wix and it's associated with that order. Right. And because of the way I set up the pre-order, all everyone will owe me the same amount of money. So there's no tracking down like that. Oh, these, this person got these right. options. So it's a little bit different number. Yep. They all owe me a flat rate when it's ready to ship. So once I see inside of Wix that their invoice is paid, it goes. That's and beautiful. So That's actually a really elegant solution. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I liked about the, what I like about the deposit kind of method is just that you have skin in the game. Yep. Um, I think that a small deposit, it doesn't have to be large, you know, like mm-hmm. that is nominally, that is a pretty small amount of money, but it, it lets you gather a lot of data based on something that you haven't made yet. Like you said, you're going to, you're going to need to have some of those metrics just to plan the run and maybe mm-hmm. a little over. Mm-hmm. Now you actually have some information that allows exactly. you to do that in yeah. an educated way. Yep. And, and part of it is I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm actually, my, my buddies over at tactile turn knife company, they have this sweet Seatman knife grinder. I'm going to work with them on bevels on this. I want to see what they can do as far as grinding goes. And nice. so there's a, there's a minimum order quantity that comes in. That's never been a part of the Overland that I've done in the past. And yep. so for me, if I needed like a few more knives beyond, because the orders were more than I expected, I would, I couldn't, really do that without doing a whole new batch right to them so that was why the pre-order partially became the option but once again the clicking moment was when i found the wix platform had such a like integrated deposit model then it was like oh yeah that's for sure the way to do it um yeah i I think it should go really smooth i think it's prime man because you're proving a concept too which is like planning around small business like can't really be dogmatic Mm -hmm. like it's it has to adapt so mm-hmm. as you, as your information is updated, you're able to update your plan. Yeah. Very rarely when we're starting a project or a process, are you able to see like all of the steps, you know, or like the ability to have that, like the grinding outsourced, mm-hmm. you know, like that may have come in at a point where you had had one plan. This new information actually w- allowed you to modify and then move forward from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And it's and ultimately cool. the, the other thing is this isn't a one-time thing because I, I plan to bring out more fixed blade models. Right. And I was talking to my wife about this. I was like, I need this process to work every time. It's not just a one-time thing. Yep. And this deposit model is probably going to be more reliable down the road. So it's, it's like, I have to do something repeatable. Like, like we've said, the process is the product, like yep. the process needs to be right. And this seems right. So, well, and you're, you're, we'll you're, you're kind of evolving the process as you go, right? Like I saw that you just integrated Kanban. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's huge. You only have to do that once. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like now it's now that is part of the process. Yeah. Especially when it's customer facing because you, yeah. your customers start to learn like this is what to expect. Yeah. So you, if every drop, like if it's if it becomes too erratic or unpredictable, yeah. people like don't want to read like paragraphs on paragraphs on like right. what's happening, I guess. Details. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that that's kind of it. Like you had a plan. You did not stick to it. Yep. That's correct. It still works. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll see. I think it'll work. Yeah. Well, again, so, so I far, think, so, good. so I think if I remember our original conversation, like, you know, I have fears around like, like releasing before I know that something works. Right. Mm-hmm. However, in a prototype scenario, that's completely rational. Mm-hmm. This model is essentially an extension of the process that you have built for the overland. Mm-hmm. So your, your, your process is the product, Right you already have a proven process. You're not, you're not integrating changes of a nature that would completely trash that model. So you can go into it knowing like, all right, I know I can do this. I know like Mm -hmm. all of these steps work. The one, the one outlier you have is them being ground on a seatment, the bevel grinding. Right. But that now is an, is essentially a known quantity too, but it's still a problem that has to be solved. Yep. It's kind of a, it's a variable in a vacuum. It's like it's all the right. other variables are somewhat dialed to where it, if some parts of it are slower than I expect, it'll still be doable at the very least. But the bevel grinding is like the isolated large change. And I'd be willing on each subsequent batch to maybe make one more isolated adaptation. Uh, Cause the process, you don't want it to be stagnant. You want it to grow, but that you don't want to change really, everything. All no, the time. that brings up a really, really good point, which is, when you make changes, it's like, it's like scientific method, essentially, exactly. right? Like you make one change and you see how that affects the outcome. Exactly. If you make three changes, like I run into this a lot of times with some, like usually around fitting, right? So say I'm fitting a lock and I run into a problem. I'm like, huh, my lock's sticking. And in my, the back of my head, I think of three things that could be causing this the chances of me essentially destroying the knife by approaching all three things at once is huge. Right. If I just address one thing and see if it affects it. And then on the next level address the next thing, but not the first thing. Then the third, each one of those, I'm going to get to see where the, what the effect actually is. Mm -hmm. I think from a product development standpoint or production cycle, that is a huge, uh, kind of, I guess not like a hack, but it's just like a best practice. Yep. Isolating variables. It's like not falling, going faster than you want to fall from. Yeah. Kind of. Right. right? You're like, man, I I can't, you can't risk it. If you did three things outsourced, all of a sudden you might like, it, it might just tank the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. It gets, gets, turns into a rat's nest real fast. That's pretty cool. So so yeah, I, I look forward to it. It's going to be cool. I'm, I kind of told my wife, like the way I'm looking at 2023 is I built, I spent 2022 building this process like largely because I, I got a new machine in, got equipment in, got my shop all fixed up, power and everything. And it's like, I felt like it was kind of like loading the chamber for a year and yep. still putting out a lot of knives. But like a lot of times, like it felt like I was limping getting knives out the door because I was at adapting so fast. Yep. And so 2023 is kind of like, okay, now it's time to like aim and fire. Like right. this process is now time. It's like time for prime time kind of thing. Yeah. And just see how it goes. 
It's so exciting. So I'm, I'm, new, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> nice. So, what is when, what's the ETA on the new model? So it just got water jet this morning. It's getting nice. surface ground quickly. I mean, soon ish. I mean, yep. the guy that does my water jetting over at survive yep. knives does the surface grinding as well. So it'll nice. get surface ground. It'll come to me because I'm not milling the bevels. I can mill the whole batch pretty fast because I'm milling yep. perimeters, chamfers, uh, whatever engraving. And so it should be relatively quick to get it to heat treat then from heat treat to grinding. And then once, the, once it's ground and back to me, it'll be pretty much ready to go out the door because I'll be working on the handles and getting those somewhat inventoried, but, yep. uh, in the meantime, so the only thing, once the knives come back to me, the only from, from grinding, the only thing that's going to be a little bit of a barrier is I don't want to make any sheaths until I have them back from grinding. Right. Because I don't know the exact geometry that the grind is going to be. Right. Uh, so that's like the one question mark, but, um, but that's the sheaths are, are it's fine it's if minor. I do them. The all only other thing the that I can see is maybe a, a variation in your fit, your final finishing process. That's the only other thing I can kind of like spot out of the gate as far as time standpoint, um, as far as like stoning out the blades to get to where you need to be for like blast and tumble. Yeah. And we're going to see, I guess we'll just see what the seatman can do in that regard. I might, you know, obviously I'll try one without stoning it and see where we're at and see if I, what kind of degree of hand finishing is there. I don't know. So that's, that's where this variable is going to come in is I think the bevels are going to turn out great. Seatman's a amazing German made machine. They're very talented over a tactile knife company. They're going to do a good job. But the question is to get to my standards, what on the tail end of that needs to happen? I don't know. Maybe nothing, maybe Maybe a lot of things. You don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. But I know it's going to be better than what I have now because what I have now is very geometrically perfect, but the finish is not going to be as or the finish from the seatman is going to be better than what my mill is doing. It just there is. There you go. That's like, and that's so, calculated then. Yeah. It's just ground surfaces are better than milled surfaces, bar none. Right. End of story. That's right. just always true. All right. So. There you go. So yeah. You want to hear, you want to hear Our, mine? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with you. Let's go. Mine's messy. I don't even know if it's going to make sense. Okay. But uh, I just got back from the Kentucky Custom Knife Show. Um, kicks, which is arguably, it is one of my favorite shows. It's just so well done. Um, it's a four hour show inside of like a three day weekend. So Hmm. you essentially, you show up Thursday night. They usually do like a little bottle share, really fun Friday morning. Uh, they do a whiskey tour and it's like a big tour bus. Everybody splits, goes and looks at distilleries. Um, this, this year we did maker mark. Um, they make whiskey makers, in Kentucky. Yeah, man. It's so, that. yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, just a little runs like water. Um, yeah. but man, it's so cool. Like just getting to spend time in the distilleries, like, and see again process, right? Like it is, it's wild. Um, like there's one place that makes all of the stills from basically like mm. all of the distilleries. Mm. I'm trying to get it to where next year we get to go tour them. Um, pretty, that would be pretty neat. Yeah. So basically you that do that. Sick. It's, it's, it's very, it's very like um, community forward, right? It's the reason you're doing the show is to go spend time with people. Uh, I was really lucky uh, this time. My, my bus mate, my, my whiskey buddy was Nick Rossi. 
Nice. Um, so this is great, man. Like get to spend a day on a bus, like driving around drinking whiskey and, mm-hmm. and looking at cool machines. Dude, I missed out. You missed out. I mean, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and then they have a show Saturday night that's four hours and, and then you're headed home Sunday. That's so, fantastic. I yeah, love this, really cool this format. New era show that seems to be developing this yep. show style. Yep. Um, yeah. And I think really a lot cool. of the new shows actually owe a debt to, to kicks because they were, they were really one of the first, it started as a, as like a local meet and greet. Hmm. It just, it just kind of expanded. Just yeah. It just grew and they did it the right way. They keep it small. I found um, out how many knife makers like whiskey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it yeah. really, it really is about the most natural fit. Um, yeah. it's also cool. Just, just from the standpoint of a show, like you go to blade, one of the best things is hanging out at the pit, right? That's like the thing. Mm-hmm. The show is at a small hotel. The hotel is where everybody hangs out downstairs. There's a bar, there's a restaurant. So you have all of kind of the, the elements you need for that kind of social, just spending time in the place that you're staying, that the show is. What is but the airport? A, so you fly into um, LEX, Bluegrass, I think is the... So it's just like oh. the Lexington airport. Mm. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, man. Really, really, really cool. I'm, I'm happy for you. That sounded like a good time. And that it was good. And this was a show that you were kind of tense about going into. So because- th- here's my, here's where, here's my broken promises. So as we've discussed, like the last couple of years, super hectic, lots going on both around the business, around kids. Um, and so I've really reduced the amount of shows that I'm doing. This year, I had agreed to go to Blade Show, but not display. Go to Blade Show West, but not display. Um, The latter of which you went to with me. We had a great time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did a small show in Portland that essentially is that same format, like four hours and spend time with people. Coming out of that one, I was like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. That's that was my show for the year. And I knew my reasons. And then I agreed to do Kentucky. So that was broken promise number one. That one was essentially like essentially to myself. Luckily, luckily, I feel like a lot of these, like in what we're talking about, these are internalized broken promises. And at the same time, I'm noticing <laughs> they're not promises that we said we would do and then we didn't. It's the opposite. It's a something we times, said we wouldn't do and we did. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So here's where here's where round two comes in at the time that I committed to the show. I greatly overestimated the amount of time that I would have to prepare for the show. Um, and this, this is like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't even know what I was thinking. Like I didn't like, I forgot we had a trip to New Mexico to visit my dad. Um, I had my in-laws in town. We had Thanksgiving, which we were like hosting. And as I look and I go, man, like I'm watching the the days go by and I'm watching like weeks go by where I'm not getting the hours in the shop to like make a viable show. I will also say that a lot of this stuff is like kind of charged because like as a maker, when you do a show, especially one of these shows, right? That's not like your standard trade show. You're doing like a really grassroots, like community-based show. You want to like bring the heat, right? Mm -hmm. You want to bring really good work. You want to bring things that you know people are going to be excited about. And if I don't feel like I can do that, I start to instantly like shut down. 
I get mm-hmm. so frustrated, right? I don't like to fight a weak position. So as I'm coming into kind of the, like the all or nothing phase of the show, I look at it and I go, I, I don't physically see how I can get the amount of work needed done in the time I have allotted without like drastically affecting Maddie and the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. So I call Scott and I'm like, Hey dude, I messed up. I probably, I don't think I can make the show. And this is, this is something that is, it's like multi-pronged, right? Cause it's one thing to, to not follow through on a show. Like things happen. Mm-hmm. The problem is with a show like Kentucky, people pay for their tickets after they know who is going to be there. And it's hard to be like, mm-hmm. Hey, like you bought a ticket. Cause, and it's not like, Oh, everyone's coming to see one maker, but collectors go yeah. where their favorite makers are going. Yeah. And if you were the one they that make a decision on the a scale or something. Yeah. It could yeah. be the one that tipped the scale. And so it, I was like, look, I'm in the back of my head. I was like, I'm 99% sure that I can't do this right now. I just like hit critical max. I was like, give me 24 hours before I announce it. Mm-hmm. So in that time, I doubled back again. Mm-hmm. So I had decided that, <laughs> that I wasn't going to do it, made, reached out to show promoter, right? Tail between my legs and like, let him know. And that's like, that's how it is. That night, I just sat back and I really looked at like the reasons that I was, that I felt like I couldn't do it. And I realized it was almost all self, like self inflicted expectations that it didn't, it wouldn't matter to anybody but me. Mm-hmm. And so I basically, I redirected the amount of time that I had kind of focused on the highest priority products, um, but reduced kind of overall what I had expected to bring. Right. Mm-hmm. So I didn't gain more time, but I created, I created more available time. Yeah. Squeeze more value out of the time. Yep. Squeeze more value out of the time. And so, but it was, it was really like, as I was in the process, I was like, man, I got to this point where I was like, no, I feel like I can't do anything right. Like nothing, no decision in this process is right. If I, if I grunt through the show, I'm going to like, everyone's going to suffer and it's going to, I'm going to get burned out. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm going to do my highest level work. And then I was like, if I don't go to the show, I'm going to have like crazy guilt around like the feeling of like letting like customers and like, you know, show promoter down that kind of thing. Very rarely. I think did these decisions have the ramifications that like we put on them? Like it's probably, it's like a middle ground. Right. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I felt at the end, very happy that with the decision that I did make. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's just adaptive strategy, right? Mm -hmm. There is a point where you're like you, if you, if you're not in a point where you're going to have product for a show, like doesn't make sense to go. Like you, you do actually, you, we do make mistakes up to a point that can cause catastrophic failure. I think that a lot of times we get again, like dogmatic about what we consider failure 
versus like reframing what a success is. Yeah. Um, the, I guess like the, to like kind of wrap it up, the crazy part about it was that when I got there and I started to put product out, I realized two things. One, I had actually bought, brought like a huge volume. Nice. Okay. And I brought two, I, two pieces that I actually think may have been two of the best things that I've made so far. And awesome. One was base. One was the inlaid tuna. And that was just from a standpoint of like, it's one of the cleanest tunas I've ever built. And I developed that process for cutting inlays that I didn't know. And I did that in that timeline. I love that knife, man. That carbon fiber you put in there. That was sweet. Well, and that's, that's what happens. Like a lot of times I start doing, getting show prep and like my, the creativity goes, I wasted a huge amount of time trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Not really wasted, but it's like, it's not efficient to do it when you're under the gun. Yeah. Right. And that, that gets to the point of like decisiveness is all is difficult, you know, like the analysis paralysis thing. And like, I think you've said it on the pod before making a decision that might be not the best is better than not making any decision at all. Right. And it's like, yeah, sometimes I have to slap myself and just be like, well, this like with the pre-order thing, I kind of did that. I was like, it just kind of came over me once I saw that Wix thing. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I was yep. like, I don't, I'm not going to ask anybody. I'm just going to do it. Like, just it's just, it. I'm just going to do it. And maybe I'll suffer the consequences, but right. you could, you know, in, in your situation, like you could kick the can until you were still agreed to it and you didn't right. have product to the last second, you know, right. it could have got worse. Right. Well, and that's what I looked at. I'm like, when I, when I cut it, right. When I, when I let Scott know, I, I feel like I really had to make that decision. Because mm-hmm. up until then, all I was, I was like thinking about it constantly while I was working. The act of actually saying full stop, I'm not doing this, allowed me to look at it ex- like abstractly after the fact. I have just canceled this process. I've stopped banging my head against the wall. And it then from there, because we have this flexibility, you know, I was able to look at it and go, no, that actually was not the right decision. How can I, how can I like pick up the pieces from that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. towards the end of this process? I got the idea for this, like, um, like bamboo, like hand carved bamboo side pop where, where I like built this silver coin Mm -hmm. and like did like jewelry processes that I didn't know how to do on it again, not good time. But as I'm sitting at my table and the doors are about to open, I realized that like, It's an awesome show. Like what I brought, not only was there enough of it, but it was very high level. Yeah. And so weird. There's a certain amount of flame underneath you that is the right amount. Yeah. And it's, and it, it can stifle creativity if it's too much, but there's, there is a a prime amount of heat and pressure that actually creates beauty and like success in yeah. in architecture and design right. and anything you're trying to accomplish. We talk about that in flow state, right? Mm-hmm. Which is there's actually a level of stress that like is going to make you perform better. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, I guess like a huge universal ask would be like, it would be amazing to figure out how to just like flip that switch yeah. when you actually had enough time and enough resources, you know, and enough yeah. of like a buffer 
Yeah. But for me, that's never how it's worked. And I, well, I think that's a lifelong pursuit too, to figure out where your threshold is because yeah. that, that like green zone yep. is different for everyone. And like, I mean, you, you hear about it in athletics and like MMA and stuff all the time that there's the yep. people that do really, really well in like sparring, yep. but they fall apart at a high level. And then there's yep. people that are the opposite that they exceed right. expectations. Yeah. Like they're, they're not crazy physically fit. They don't mm-hmm. have great endurance and like. So when they're in a sparring scenario, like it's actually not an ideal. And then you put them yeah. in the ring, everything gets locked down and they're just an animal. Yeah, exactly. They're like, it's, oh, it's just, they, all of a sudden they hit that like critical mass of like, this is the right amount of fire under me <laughs> yeah. and it's time go to go. Time. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It was a really, it was really interesting, really kind of interesting situation because I found myself like multiple times throughout the weekend, just being super grateful mm-hmm. that I went. And I wasn't stressed at all. Uh, I got to spend like a lot of time, you know, hanging out with people. And again, like we've talked, like I'm an introvert. So shows in general kind of take it out of me a little bit. Mm -hmm. This one didn't. Let me say this. Yeah. Shows can take it out of you and me, but I don't know if I've ever regretted going to a show. Have you? No, I agree. It's like, it seems like I always am like waffling about shows, like especially post COVID, like yep. deciding whether to get back on the horse, yep. but I've never regretted it. So yeah. I got to remember that when yep. I decide not to go to a show, like well, it usually. Like, yeah, man. I mean, cause there's, you're putting yourself into like a, essentially some variation of a family reunion mm-hmm. with, with the element of financial, you know, opportunity. Yeah. It's business, which is, we love business, right? Mm -hmm. We love making things. We love talking with people who like those things. Yeah. And And you're just going to a concentration of those types. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, I like, I like to eat food while I get to do some of that. So if you just kind of like let go of it, I mean, ultimately that's where blade, like going to big blade with no table. I struggled with it until I got there. Mm. And then I just realized I was like, Oh, this is like, 80% 80% of the value of the trade show is just being at the trade show. Yeah. So FaceTime. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just like constantly, constantly learning. Um, mm-hmm. So that's it. That's my last show for the year. Well, there's good. not much year left. So <laughs> I know that's all right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I, I actually feel pretty good. Like, you know, going into the year, I wasn't sure I was going to do anything. And I ended up doing, four shows, two with product, two without, mm-hmm. and the two without both had a, I would say a sizable effect on my overall business. Right. Right. Yeah. Good connections, good projects, like just good. It's fantastic. Yeah. No, you're talking about the two blade shows. Yeah. Well, Atlanta and blade yeah. show West. Yeah. Blade show West. Excellent shows. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta get to, I gotta get to more shows. Like I, like I said, going into 2023, like I do want to start hitting shows and stuff and really ramping that up because I do just love it. You know, it's, I think I'm very excited for you to do like your first show with product. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, not to like put you on the spot with this, but like, do you have any idea of like, from what you've seen so far, like what is the right fit? Like what's the first show? First show for me might, actually be it would it'd probably be blade show west blade show west because it's a driving distance for me so it it makes it a lot more approachable it's the only show that's really that way yep 
and going to Atlanta, like the logistics ramp up by a hundred because yep. booth materials yep. and getting same with blade show Texas, even though it's not as far yeah. smaller show, you're still, still, still getting on a plane to get there. Yeah. So blade show West is just like a shorter chip shot. And so, yeah. and I, I like this show. It was really good this year. So I think coming back next year with product is pretty sensical. I think, I think it's, it cool. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like we, I feel like we both had the same opinion of that show, which was like it, it has quite a bit of potential, mm-hmm. but it's as like right out of the gate. Like even like if you had gone to the first year, you would have done fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there was enough yeah. people, there was enough money. Um, I do like, I spent so many years doing shows in Arizona and Colorado because they were driving distance before I ever did, you know, blade show. Yeah. Um, and, and I really like that. I think there's, I think there's a process kind of, of getting to the point where you're like, okay, like I've got my knives. I'm like loading them in the car. You have like your show display driving. It feels like very organic. And I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of value before you're like, all right, I'm going to the big show. You know, yep. load up the pallets on yeah, the plane. Wipe that knife goodbye. down with WD-40 and th- yeah. throw it in the box and <laughs> yeah. jump in the car. Yeah. yeah. I think that there's, I think that that, I don't know, I guess like, I mean, it's just me getting like older and I'm sentimental mm-hmm. about it. But I, I look back on those days very fondly. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we've talked about this, like anytime I can kind of be a beginner or out, like out of my element or bad at something, I generally, I kind of like put a pretty high value on those. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a little bit of discomfort to yeah. get you yeah. going. Yeah. yeah. And, and also just like it being the right scale for like where you're at, like you're going to do your mm-hmm. first show. There's no mm-hmm. reason to, that you need to go to Atlanta mm-hmm. and add all of those additional complications back to the idea of adding one extra element. Your element that's changing is going to a show by adding mm-hmm. all of these other elements like flying and like booth setup and like yeah. all this other, you're just really, really yeah. asking for yeah. more problems. Well, and especially cause like in Atlanta, if you guys don't know, it's like a 45 minute drive with traffic from the airport to the show. And so, and then there, it's just like connecting flights. Like if, imagine if your, your box of knives that you were like checking on a flight or something, imagine if it departed you and went to like Dallas on accident and you land in Atlanta, happened. like, Ouch. Yeah. Which has Big happened ouch. many yeah. times. I actually, I had a really interesting experience flying out of Redmond. Uh, so like product hack for people. I learned it from a photographer and I absolutely love it. So, okay. You can check a firearm when you fly. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have to know what airport you're going into. Like can't do it going into Newark. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially you have like a locking hard sided case, like a Pelican. You put your product in that. You place a unloaded, you know, firearm. Um, I like taking a little automatic with the slide open. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't even take ammunition or anything, right? Like it just in there. And what that allows you to do is have the box checked by an agent. As you're checking in, you then affix your own locks to the box, which is then essentially babysat at the other end. Okay. Mm. So you have to go to a special luggage pickup to, so say, Say I, my connecting flight doesn't make it, but my luggage does. Mm-hmm. That box just doesn't go out on the standard. On the carriage. On the carousel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know what? So, it's like a Trojan horse yeah, way of doing it. Right. It's really good. Yeah. It's like really good. And I know I'm like, I feel it gives you a longer timeline than having to ship. 
And like, I feel pretty confident about it. I've never run into problems. However, it adds a complication at check-in. Okay. Because some people like you can run into a few variations. Some people, a gate agent never checked a firearm. They're unfamiliar with the process. Sometimes they have an attitude about you checking a firearm, depending on where you're flying out of. Mm -hmm. Um, in Redmond, they were basically like, Oh no, you can't do that. You need to have your firearm in a locking case. And I say, well, it is in a locking case. It's in a locking hard sided case with dual padlocks that cannot, well, no, no, it needs to be locked inside of the case. Really interesting Hmm. scenario because I can argue this because it's right. Or I can try to have them come to the conclusion that this is acceptable. Yeah. It added 45 minutes to my check-in time. I almost missed my flight. The gate agent talked to the other gate agents who didn't know who brought over the manager who didn't know who brought over TSA (laughs) who begrudgingly said, well, no, that's okay. It's in a locking hard sided case, but you should have it inside of another locking case. And I was like, absolutely. I said in the future, I said, so if I have a a locking pistol case inside of this box, I'm also able to lock this box with my own padlocks. And they said, yes. Where the confusion (laughs) came around was that it's a big box. It's like a big Pelican. So in the gate agent's mind, it doesn't look like a pistol case. Mm. And there's other things in the box. Imagine shipping a rifle and having a bipod, a scope, I don't know, something else in there, right? A sling. And then being like, no, no, those things can't go in the box. That's essentially (laughs) the scenario. Yeah, yeah. But I like I very I, I very quickly realized because I made the mistake of saying like, oh, um, I understand, but I've used this exact setup for the past decade. I've flown exactly like this. And she looked at me and said, I don't care. This is not how it's supposed to be. And then I was like, is there any way that we can speak to a TSA agent? Uh, it was, I was so it's 3.30 in the morning. I'm like losing my mind. Yeah, like, that's. Yeah, yeah, that's the hard part about in, interpretable laws and yes. regulations. Like, yep. that's tough. Yeah, and they very Which easily could have just been like, nope, that's not how we're reading it today. Yep. So Ouch. I ordered, I from the airport, I ordered another, I ordered a little life pod and moving forward, I will have it double locked. Everything's going to be so locked mm-hmm. forever. <laughs> nice. Yeah. A little bit of that's a, good. Like that's a good tip. I might have rant. to, I'll keep that in mind. It works really, it works so beautifully because it just adds a layer of like very subtle security to, to being able to ship a, a big box of valuables. Not to mention your leverage if they yes. were to lose it is yes. probably way higher. Yes. This is not the box they want to lose. And people yeah. fly with firearms all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, and just to like be double, double redundant, this is checked baggage which you have to declare. So mm-hmm. you have to go up to the gate agent and say, I, w- I need to declare a firearm, right? They open it. They put a card inside that is signed by you. Like it is, it's a very known process. Then they close it. Then you put your locks on it. It is the most secure way to fly with valuable. Mm-hmm. Sure. The box could get lost, but again, this, this is not the box that 
Yeah, your recourse is loose. Your yeah. recourse is yeah. is good, probably yeah. on that. It's better right. than a bag of underwear or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a yeah. long time ago, um, Ken had had his knives for blade show. He's flying over Onion. from Hawaii. Yep, Ken Onion um, was flying over and had all of his knives stolen out of his luggage. I believe it was a hundred thousand dollars worth of knives. They figured out that it was like an inside job at the airport. So like, this is something that like when, when I was like first going to shows, you know, really was like in my, like really stuck with me. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's horrifying. See that. And that's why I'm driving to Blade Show West, you yep. know, yep. cause it's going <laughs> to be in a box that I choose <laughs> yeah, and it's going to be the box that I like and it's going to oh, be yeah. the back of my Jeep and I'm going to drive. I'm excited and for someone, Blade Show and West. I, and then someone's going to rear end me and yeah. crumple. Well, but. that's the thing. There's no, I had a, a conversation with a friend today, which is like essentially that like, you know, overall safety is an illusion. Yeah. But like yeah. there are many steps that you can take to, to essentially make your system safer and mm-hmm. more robust. Yeah. Due diligence. Um, yeah. It's just due diligence, best practice. So speaking of best practice. Yeah. You mentioned Kanban earlier. Yeah. I was talking to Maddie about yep. the Kanban. Do you think you guys are going to try to do that? Oh, yeah. We're going to try to do it. I sent her all yeah. your videos and I was like, just watch this. And she watched it and she was like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the Kanban thing, dude, has been good. Yeah. It's only been a week and I immediately, it was, it's not like I've even utilized it. It hasn't like saved my butt yet. Right. But it, the peace of mind that I feel, it's like I feel I always have this nag of like, you're missing something like you're going to go to assemble this knife. You're going to pull out the drawer and there's going to be one thing missing. Yep. And it's like, there's always that little fear yep. that you're like going to have to overnight something or something. And the Kanban thing, it was like, it like, I like downloaded that off my brain and it's all, all on paper laminated now and I don't have to touch it. And it was like, there was like just that much less weight on my mind. Felt great. It feels so good. It's pretty cool. There's also a, like a side effect of it that I see which is essentially investing as a maker because you're, what you're really doing is dollar cost averaging your Mm -hmm. materials. Yeah. And it's like, you look at it and you're like, okay, inflation goes up, but I had ordered enough steel Mm -hmm. for two runs of knives prior to that. Yeah. Okay. So it goes down and I've only ordered two runs of steel. Yeah. Lean manu- that's, you know, why Toyota did it, the lean right. manufacturing model. So let's, I'm going to quickly go over what a Kanban is. I mean, before we yeah, get too far it. into this. So Kanban, K-A-N-B-A-N, one word, Japanese word. And what it is referring to is a bigger system. I'm the Kanban cards that I'm using is a portion of the bigger Kanban system. So when you hear Kanban, it doesn't just mean the cards. It means like a bigger model for organizing manufacturing. But what I've used is the Kanban card method, which is... Let's say I've got this, this, all my options for the Overland and the, the confidant. Let's say I've got black screws and stainless screws. If I run out of the black screws, there's a card at the bottom of the, of the drawer that has the black screws in it that I get to when I'm out of screws, I look at it. It's got how many new ones I need to order, what vendor, and, uh, just a couple other details, like basically everything I need to know to reorder those screws those exact quantity of screws that were in the drawer I have on a shelf. So I, when I hit that card, I pull the, the screws off the shelf, which in my case I do 300 because I'm um, 300 screws is like what the standard I decided to set. I pour them in the bin. 
I put that little card in a box that says to order. Now at the end of the week, I might have a couple things that ended up in that bin for to order. And those Kanban cards give me the information to just hit order, order, order on like screws, washers. Uh, I need to cut green Kydex and uh, you know, whatever sheath clips. And so those head in, but I've got inventory in those bins that's going to last me well beyond the time it's going to take for those products to ship and replace the Kanban inventory. Right. And then when they arrive, the card goes back with the, in the drawer and it just is like a recycle. And what you touched on is the upfront cost of this is it's almost no labor. It's easy to set up, but you have to buy two X of everything you think you need for a realistic time frame. And so in the case of screws, that's easy. It's like few, I mean, depending on what kind of screws you're using, but for me, it's like pretty affordable. But if you're deciding to Kanban, like even Kydex is pretty expensive if you're doing a lot of volume and like all these little hardware pieces. So I probably spent a couple grand just to double up all my inventory, but it's a one-time expense. Right. And so, and like you said, the other advantage is like I got some screws in, stainless screws I ordered. So I replaced the inventory, stainless screws came in. There was issues. They had burrs. There was like a lot of problems with these screws. Because I already have inventory replaced, I have the time to seek out a new distributor and find a new set of screws. And then I'm not waiting and like gambling that these new screws are going to work because I just replaced my old inventory. So when the inventory comes in to replace it, I always inspect it before I put it in storage to make sure it's good. And then that way, if it's wrong, you have time. And that ups your quality on the long term, in my opinion, because you're not forced like these knives have to go out or I'm going to a show on Friday. I have to put the bad screws in the knife. I have to. You don't ever get in that position. So it's a it's huge. I mean, there's so many there's so many upsides to that. I mean, not even just to mention like going to a lot of the materials and and components that we use are made in small batches. Um, They sell out. Like mm-hmm. there's Another times reason. where I go to order, you know, Hermes 406 J flex belts and they don't have that belt. Yep. This is a problem if you're in the middle of a show when you realize that you're out of belts, you know, yep. or like in show prep and you've got a week left. Like, so you're, you're basically, you're solving, you're solving for future problems in a way that also directly affects kind of your day-to-day operations because you, it's one less thing that you have to remember Mm -hmm. to check to order. There's no more intuition about it, which is I think the main thing. There's no like, I think I might be running low on this. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't even care. You talk about that idea of like, you're only able to make like so many decisions in a day. The more base level decisions that you can offload and automate, like the more resources yeah. you have for high level decisions and like creative work. Yeah. Right? And a, another, and another thing that saves is like, I can't tell you how many times I'd be like, all right, I'm going to try to ship like 30, 40 knives in the next period of time because I've got them all done and sharpened. And I just need to assemble and ship. And then I'm going around like counting stuff to make sure I'm not going to run short on anything. And it's like, I found myself literally like counting screws sometimes or like clips yep. to make sure that I'm going to cover these 30 knives to make sure yep. I don't need to order right now. And it's like with this model, you never count anything ever again right. because the inventory is on the shelf. It was counted by the manufacturer. Right. So you the, like, for example, I order like a hundred clips for my Kydex at a time and a hundred double binder posts and they come in a bag. They had to count a hundred. Right. Because I, I did go through and there was actually a hundred in there. And it's like, I have a hundred on the shelf that I didn't have to count 
Right. And when I pour it in the drawer, I know there's a hundred in there. Right. And I know there's a hundred more coming. So there's no more counting. You're not walking around with like a clipboard being yeah. like, Oh, I'm a little short on this. I think that's enough. You right. know, like it's all gone. Well, and it really, it works. Okay. Exceptionally well for, for production, right? Anything that involves higher numbers. I, at this point, over the years, I've done different variations that are similar. Like at this point, belts are the only thing that I really pay attention to in like a Kanban like methodology, mm-hmm. which is I order belts 25 at a time. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I get to, down to five, I reorder. Yeah. Similar. That's thing. like, so it's a very yeah. similar concept. I'm going to integrate it um, purely because I think that it is a best practice that takes very little to implement and has a huge upsize upside, right? So if there's any scaling, if any time, like say I bring in another employee, anything gets more efficient, anything uses more parts. When, when I first hired, um, Joe, I was amazed. I was like, wow, I'm going through materials in a way that like I had never experienced before. Had I Kanban then it would have saved me a lot of headaches. Mm-hmm. Probably right. a lot of UPS the, red label shipping. Yeah. Just like what we wait, we're out of handle material. Like, oh man. Okay. Like I'm going to go find, I'm going to find that. If it had just been like, oh, last sheet off the, off the shelf that gives us five more knives in that time. It's reordered. It's here. It's no yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, really where that starts to be at like a one person shop, it's super valuable. Two people, three people, it goes up. It starts to be like game changing. Yeah. You know, and it's pretty cool. one, one other little benefit too, is like when you get in those positions where you keep running out of stuff and I know I've been there like these screws, I keep like running out of screws. Yeah. And so I, the, the intuition is like, I'm going to buy a thousand or yep. 10,000 screws yep. and I'm never going to run out. Yeah, the, you are. The, <laughs> but the problem with the, you are going to run out and that day is going to suck because yeah. you only, the only solution is buy 10,000 more. Right. But and the, in that the, time, the price may have gone up so yeah. much. Yep. It's actually, or, or, so there's two variations on this, which are pretty interesting, right? So you buy 10,000, you're like, man, I am locked in. Okay. Mm-hmm. You use 2000 on them and then you change your, your model exactly. assembly. And now yep. you have 8,000 that are waste. The yep. flip side of that is you get down to 1000. It take, it took forever. You now have to buy that number again, theoretically. Right. Mm-hmm. And the manufacturers stopped making them or they've doubled in price. Like there's yeah. so many small yep. things that can happen yep. around that extended timeline. And that's where you get like Toyota's Toyota invented this Kanban system and their phrase is what it's continual improvement. Yes. If you have 10,000 of one item, you're stuck with it. And then yeah. as the industry is advancing underneath you, like a cool titanium screw comes out, you're missing out unless you're going to go throw 10,000 screws in your yes. garden. You know what I mean? And so there's that, you don't get continual improvement if you have piles and piles of stuff that you have no option but to use. Um, so that's where like, like with Toyota that they call it just in time yep. manufacturing. So it's like the headlight arrives there and they put it on the Tacoma just in time. Yep. And so the next headlight, they're going to tell them, look, this hole wasn't big enough. Ream it out. Right. Or remold this or like seal this better. If they deliver 10,000 of them, guess what? What if they're all bad? You know, yep. The just in time and like the, what was the, what was the, the verbiage you used to describe the Toyota method, which is like continual improvement, continual right? improvement. Yeah. So that is, that's the way that I look at, even though I'm working small batch, I think of continual improvement. So reason like 
when I first started making Quikens, I think I had made, I forget how many part sets it was, but it was like, I'm going to machine until I, I'm just like, I have 50 knives or mm-hmm. whatever it was at that time. That seemed like some unheard of number. Um, now I do five at a time. And what that allows me to do is I do five. I see something that I want to change. I update it. Yep. I update the one thing or the two things kind of in there. And then I move forward. Um, if it doesn't work, I'm not married to it. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, it, it's just, I'm, you just don't get bogged down in the same way. And yet yeah. you're constantly improving the product. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I think there's, they're really, there really are a lot of benefits. I mean, per, I'm going to go combine my fridge. Because yeah. I don't, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm sure when I showed Maddie your video, she was probably like, oh my God, we're going to have Kanban everywhere. I oh, know. I, I was showing, <laughs> I was showing my wife and I think my mother-in-law was there too. And they, they were like looking at it and I was like, you guys should use this totally for yeah, like yeah. any to- not completely perishable item. Like, yeah, yep. you could do it. You know, yep. if you had like spaghetti noodles in there yeah. and whatever. Yep. I want two cans of beans on the shelf all times. One thing I don't have that I want to do is I want to create a spreadsheet because I just printed Kanbans like left and right. Right. I want to go down and make a spreadsheet of a list of the Kanban items that I have in existence. Right. Just so that like in the theoretical scenario where I wanted to audit it yes. to make sure that it hasn't like, uh, what's the word devolved or like deteriorated or like right. I lost some cards or I yep. forgot about some cards. Yep. Like I want to have like a master list, which I, oh, I love have. that. be pretty easy that. to do. Just I also like, love your, your data sheets that you're, laminating that's something that i've wanted to do for a long time and it's like it's one more thing that like i was designing all 2d i guess i could do it but it and my stuff is simple but seeing it in practice it's so beautiful it's another one where it would bring me joy to have a setup sheet yeah but if you have someone else running parts it's like a game changer it's critical and another thing is if you guys want to like print something out on eight and a half by eleven and then proceed to actually care about it laminate it yeah (laughs) i don't know what it is there's this intuitive thing like i found when i laminate something and i put it like on a magnet on the machine it seems official it seems permanent it seems like oh i think we're dealing with like some human nature like you're dealing with some old knowledge well it's like is it art it's framed essentially you're like it's protected it's framed sealed like and so like if you just print a piece of paper and like throw it out in your shop and it's like yeah make sure this bore diameter and this length is right it's right. like, well, it's probably going to get all oily and then you're going to like drop it on the floor and then you're probably going to throw it away. But if it's like laminate it and then you start to care and then it starts to stick. That's Overall, so I think that ties into the like idea of like clean shop, clean work. Mm-hmm. Like I know some people love to have like the messiest, you know, which has a, zero a feng way about it. Sometimes. Yeah. Like I get it that you want like this, like organized chaos. Mm-hmm. but I, I love just having a really organized and clean space to work. Same. Um, and so I think that that really ties in. It's like, okay, we make theoretically, we make things that are special, right? Like it's special to a person for whatever, for whatever reason, but it's, it's not, maybe not precious. Like I'm not it's looking not for disposable. that word, but it's not a disposable and we take pride in it. And I think that for us making it, the steps that you take to make it, if you have pride in those steps, like I think it, maybe it makes a better product. Like, you know, what's a good phrase for that? <laughs> what? The process is the product. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I love it so much. It comes up. It's been coming up like so much yeah. lately. Yep. Um, man. I, yeah. 
I found you should probably get real, that as like a chest tattoo. I, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like flex the biceps, yeah, like all yeah. the way elbow to elbow. <laughs> like, <laughs> but for sure, Pretty no, good. It, that phrase does resurface all the time for me. So I don't know about you guys if it's resonating with you or if it just sounds like dribble, but it does seem to keep coming up for me. I mean, I, I, like I repeat it. it five times before I go to sleep at night. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Got to say your prayers, man. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, got to say right. prayers. <laughs> um, man, okay, so we're coming into the end of the year. Um, this is actually huge, man. We started a podcast this year. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We've done it. We've been doing it. Yeah. I think we probably have some plans moving forward. Um, Who wants exciting. a The Process is the Product t-shirt or hat? <laughs> if you want that. Please comment on Instagram. Um, I'm or send us a DM. Yeah, yeah, we're both we're both excited for that. <laughs> so we might make two, but if you want one, at we'll least, make more than that. At least two. Yeah. Oh man. Because I wear yeah. my shirts out and get them gluey and dirty. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to get my hands on some like merch ideas and just like I have so much fun with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you and I, we need to do like a year end meeting. And like figure out some of the stuff we want to, I want to just want to like recap yeah. the year and like figure out where we're going and yeah, what else we want to do. Yeah. Edge oh. and flow summit. Fiji. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had a, a massive sponsor come in and try to try to pick us up. So we're trying to decide <laughs> if like, uh, if edge and flow by Amazon is the right move. If it sounds good, man, yeah. wouldn't that be, that would be so delightful. Or, I mean, I mean, we already <laughs> turned down the edge and flow by great value deal. But, you know, oh, man. Um, Cool. Yeah. We'll get one one or two more of these out before the end of the year, I think. I think so. Um, Guys, thank you for listening. Um, Please leave us a review. Share the podcast with your friends and family and other data and making nerds. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you all. And we will we'll talk to you guys in a week or so. Peace. See you.